one of the things that was uh, on my heart for the last couple weeks made me want to come up here because it is something that can affect all of us within the family. Something that can affect us, people here, the people at, at Harvest, everywhere, it can affect us. It comes off, you can turn your Bibles if you want, it's Matthew chapter 23. If you want to just write it down and look at it later, you can. I just want to set the stage for you right now. Jesus is talking, he's talking to the crowds and he's talking to his disciples. And he's speaking about the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, for those of you who don't know who they were, they were guys who uh, just, they were readers and interpreters of the law, pretty much. In a nutshell, that's what they were. Now they had a lot of problems, though. And they have a lot of problems in this text. You can look through Matthew to find all the questions that they posed to Jesus, trying to, trying to ask him all these questions to see who he really was. Now, I'm going to focus on select verses here, but I do want to read through. And I'll start with number one. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore do all that they tell you. Do, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with as much as a finger. See, they were the type of people that measured holiness by their standard. And they would want other people to do the work for them while they just sat down and did nothing. They were the type of people that did things for their own accord. They did things because they wanted to feel good. They didn't do things because they truly had the heart to do it. See, they didn't do these things and speak to these people because what they're doing was coming from the heart. They were doing it because they wanted other people to notice them. They wanted other people to see them. They wanted other people to call them by, by rabbi or to say hi to them or to, to notice them at the top of the seats. That's what they wanted to do. And as I continue... Sorry, Sorry about that. <laughs> But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they brought they brought in their phylacteries and lengthened the tassels of their garments. See, if anyone doesn't know what that is, they're like boxes that they would wear on their forehead or on the side of their arm. They would contain Bible verses, and they would broaden them. They would make them bigger. Again, all of this to be seen by men. And Jesus is simply telling us not to do this for many different reasons, mainly because their heart wasn't in there. And... When you look at verse 5 again, they displayed their false devotion, but there was something missing. They displayed their, their false devotion so other people could see. That was a problem that they had, like I said before. It was their heart that wasn't in what they did. It's important to know that because our heart can lead to so many problems. See, if our heart, when we come to church, is not in the right place, when we come and we sit and we worship and we hear the message, but we don't do it out of love, we don't do it out of worshiping God, and we do it to be seen by others, we do it because we want other people to see us lifting our holy hands, or whatever it may be. It can affect us today. It can cause us to hurt spiritually. It's what's called spiritual atrophy. It's where your spiritual muscles will weaken. It all starts with the heart. <coughs> it's just real important because 
without the heart in worshiping God and loving God, it opens the door to so many things. See, it's going to open the door to evil. It's going to open the door to Satan just trying to get his hold on you. See, there's one thing Satan can't get from us, all of us here. He can't get our salvation. That's what he can't get. But what he can get is your word. He can cause your word to stumble. And if he sees any faults in you, whatever it may be, pride, jealousy, anger, if he sees that you don't have the right heart in worshiping God, he's going to use that to your disadvantage and his advantage. It's going to cause so many problems. It's going to be like a domino effect. It's just going to cause everything to fall. And it's important because usually what I see sometimes, and I'm not sitting up here saying that it's never happened to me. It's happened to me. But it happens to all of us. Is usually without the right heart and worshiping God and coming to love God and honor God, what happens is when we're at church or when we're at an event like this, it's usually the sin and the sinfulness that, or the silliness that awaits us after is what drives us through church. See, we become lazy when we're there. We become lazy and we don't want to do this, but we want to wait so we can go to wherever it might be, Chipotle, wherever it might be, so we can go anywhere. That's usually why we go to church, because we await what's going to happen after. See, by being lazy and not having the right heart, it opens the door to so much. And it causes so many things to happen. It causes us to fall. And we'll fall personally. And then what will happen is others around us will see that. Others around us will, will see that, oh, well, you know, he's just going through the motions. Why can't I go through the motions too type of thing? Start getting that thinking going. And it all starts with the heart. See, heart disease is the number one killer in America. And some people don't even know they have it. Don't even know it. And it can happen at the church. The question is where our heart is at. See, Jesus was talking to the disciples. He was talking to the Pharisees and asking them, telling them. He was saying, obey their words. They were readers of the law. He was saying, obey it. But don't do it in the same way they did. Don't follow their path. Because what they were doing was wrong. They didn't have the heart to do it. They, didn't, they just wanted to be seen by everyone. They had a, a, pri- a superiority complex. They thought they were better than everyone. And I'll, tell, I'll say this. I know you guys know this, but I'm going to say it again. Everyone sitting in this room, whoever comes up to this mic to give a devotion, Josh teaching, whoever it is and whoever it is at Harvest, nobody is better than anybody. Not one single person. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We all need to be washed away by Jesus' blood. All of us. Every single one of us. Okay, the problem is, these people didn't know that. They were doing things because they wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be seen. They didn't do it out of love. They didn't do it out of worship. They did it because they felt better. They lost their heart. That happens to us. And we lose our heart in our worship. We lose our heart in our study. And we're just doing it just to, we read the Bible to gain knowledge so we can, you know, feel that we're better than people on the street. We're going to lose our heart and it's going to take God, God's help to find it. And we just need to make sure that that doesn't happen within the family. That doesn't happen with us personally because it can affect the family. We're all one body here and we all need to help each other out. We all need to look for guidance from Jesus for that. 
And this spoke out to me because it's important. It's important to have the right heart. It's important to have a strong walk. Very important. There's four things. I know this is kind of quick. Um, it's Matthew 23, 1-10. If you guys want to look at that later. That's the main focus of what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. If anyone feels that you know something is, is lacking, I know sometimes we, we struggle with it. All of us struggle with it. I myself struggle with it. And I know everyone in here struggles with certain things when they go to church, when they're just sitting down. But there's four essentials that I just wanted to share with people, with everyone here. I wanted to share it because we all have to have the right heart. And it's a daily prayer, daily thanks to God, daily bread, which is the word, and daily death. And it's important. Daily death. Daily we die to ourselves daily. Daily we read our word. Daily we pray. And daily we thank God. See, it's going to be harder that way for us to lose our heart. It's going to be harder because our heart is going to be set on God daily. And it's important. Because like Josh was saying earlier, saying do good, love God, love others. Well, it will be hard to love God and love others if we're worried about ourselves and what other people think of ourselves. So by reading the Word daily, it closes those doors. By coming here, it closes those doors. By worshiping God, it closes those doors. But it starts with your heart. Because if that fails, everything else is going to go along with it. So it's important. It's important because we're looked at daily by different people. And we have to have the heart in what we do. Because if we don't, that just gives other people whether it be non-believers, whether it be any type of people who just want to point us out and show how how how, how much hypocrites we are, how how bad a you know we say we do this but we don't really do it. It's going to give them more than enough time, more than enough information they need to truly just point the finger and say, "Oh, see, I told you, you don't practice what you preach." And it's a necessity because we need to be setting that example. We need to look at the Word and look at Christ, not the Christian, at what to do and how to live. And we need to truly have that heart when we come here to worship. When we come, if you if Harvest is your home church, when you come there, morning, night services, whatever services you come to, whatever home church you have, it's important. Because without the heart, you don't have anything. You don't have life. important. I just want to share that with you guys and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys were here to listen. I just want to ask that you guys join me in prayer and we will just ask the Lord just to bless the rest of this night and the study that we're going we're gonna to get into. Father, thank you so much, God, for displaying your love to us here tonight. 
and just lend your love to us to the Word, through the Word. God, we want to be more like you every day. And we want to have that heart that truly just loves you and wants to worship you. Wants to be good stewards for you, God. Wants to love others and love you. We don't want to lose that heart, God. And so I just ask for everybody, God, that you guard our heart with peace. Just prepare our hearts for the rest of this night, God. So we can jump into this study truly understand you better, God. Allow us to look back in your word for guidance and look to your words and what you say. So Father, we just put this up to you and ask for your blessings on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Great job, Eric. <clears throat> what a blessing. Um, Woo. The heart. Can you get a little, just a sec more volume? Just a sec. Check one, two, check, check. There we go. You alright? The heart, man. Do you know that if everything looks great on the outside, if you're serving in the church, it looks as if you're being used of God. You're doing great things. But the heart isn't right. You have no you've nothing. You have no treasure. You have nothing. You know, there are many men who have served God in the church for years, 20 years as a pastor, and they announce, I'm an atheist. Huh? What? The heart was never right. You know, some people miss heaven by 18 inches. It's 18 inches from your mind to your heart. They got it here. They have nothing here. Nothing. They're a big front master. We must be very careful that everything we do, that everything we do, we do with right motive and with a right heart before God. If you don't, if you can't worship God in spirit and in truth, then don't. You're wasting your time. You're singing a song. That's great. You know a song. That's good. You're wasting your time. You're reading the Word, but you have not gone before the Lord. All you're getting is information. You're not being changed. I have close friends who read and study daily and have no passion in their life. Nothing. The heart is not there. Very important, Devo. Very important. Let's take that to heart. Turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 9. Josh, how do we get to chapter 9? Well, okay, we've got to discuss this as a family. What we've been doing is we've been doing every seventh chapter because we were supposed to be reading through the Bible together. And we were sending out devotionals for a short time there. Um, every day it wasn't exactly 100% consistent. Um, and so we got to figure this out. Um, I'm not really sure how we're going to do it, but I, I, to, to be honest, I'll just, I'll just lay it on the table, okay, family? To write a devotional every single day, it takes about an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours. This depends. Um, I can't write a Devo every single day. Um, the commitment that I was looking for from the brothers was just seven different guys to do one Devo um, a day. And so I'll just lay it on the table again because we have the need, because I would like to get back into that, where the Devo goes out every single day to your email, and what happens is, is we, as a family, read through the Bible together. 
And even though we've missed a couple books here of reading together, what we'll do is we'll just start where we're at and we'll continue through the rest of the Bible. And when we get to the end of it, we'll just we'll come back and we'll finish reading, finish filling in those texts. Okay, so if you desire, I think you have the ability, and I can talk it over with you, uh, but I think you have the ability and the faithfulness to write one Devo a week. And I'll show you the format and how to do it, but it'll take you about an hour to two hours to type this up. It's about four paragraphs. The first paragraph being telling about what the chapter is about. The second is the insight that you see, some special things that, that kind of stick out to you. The third paragraph being the, um, the application that we can apply to our lives right now, today. And that's pretty much it. Um, sometimes there's a fourth paragraph, and what that is is just kind of summing up everything that you just said. But that's pretty much the devotional, and we were doing one for every single chapter, and I would love to get back into that. Maybe if we can start next week, that would be sweet. But if you have not been reading through the Word, we've got to. Daily, like Eric said, daily. And that's great daily stuff. I was thinking about that. Like, That's it right there. You know why many people aren't happy? It's because they're not thankful. They don't recognize what they have. To be a a person who is full and feeling great, you have to be a grateful person. Yes, grateful. Grateful day in and day out. And you will be full and you will feel great. Yes. First Chronicles chapter 9. I'll lay some simple foundation for this book because as you've heard it before, if you lay foundation for a book, the book will teach itself. Yes. Um, the author of this book is unknown. author of this book is unknown. The reason why we're starting in chapter 9 is because last week we were supposed to do chapter 2. But chapters 1 through 9 is just solid genealogy. Solid names. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. That's it, all the way through. You have a couple little things here and there, but um, we don't have time to go through it all. So, the author, it's uh, unknown. Let me read something to you. Although the author is in certain Jewish tradition ascribes the Chronicles to Ezra and Nehemiah. I'm sorry, ascribes Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah to Ezra. If Ezra was not the author, then certainly the context of the book would indicate that it was written during this time period. Um, the time period it was written in is 515 B.C. to about 400 B.C. Somewhere in there. I know it's 115 years, but it's like, very difficult to pinpoint the exact date because the author does not say. Um, the background of this book, this in the Hebrew, the book of the first and second chronicles were united as one book called the Words of the Day. So the first and second chronicles are actually one book in the Hebrew Bible. Okay, but most scholars agree that originally first and second chronicles was a part of Ezra and Nehemiah and these four books comprised one writing did you hear that first chronicles second chronicles Ezra and Nehemiah all one book most scholars believe because they're very close and uh, as you compare them as you parallel them and we will see that as we move through it through Ezra and Nehemiah and we reference back to first chronicles first and second chronicles um, these books the chronicles tells the long, detailed story of Israel, and in so doing, the author has relied on many different writings. We're going to see, as we read through the book, different writings from all over the place. Um, you see, um, there's a list of them here. 
Oh, here they are. The book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel or Judah. Um, the book of the annals of King David, Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer. So you see all these different books that were there in that time that people were taking from. I would love to see the writings of Nathan the prophet. That'd be sick. Remember Nathan the prophet? He's the one who called David out. You were the man. Remember that? Nathan was sick. Anyways, the Chronicles, uh, just real quick, just, just a couple more things. Um, these books kind of parallel with First and Second Kings, almost almost identical. The difference is First and Second Kings deal with, I don't know if you know this, but in the Old Testament, Israel is broken up into two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Israel is in the north, Judah is in the south. Two different kingdoms. The Chronicles will deal primarily with the kingdom of Judah. Okay, So we'll be looking at the south quite a bit. So there's just a little bit of foundation here. Um, like I said, you see all these genealogies and records. I was actually going to read to you because you're probably questioning, like, why would somebody write so many names down for what reason? If you don't have this book, Bible students, you need to get it. Haley's Bible Handbook. It's an absolute must-have for every single Bible student. Um, it just has random, uh, exhaustive amounts of information in this book. And I just wanted to read from it just real quick. Speaking about the genealogies in First Chronicles chapter 1-9, through 9, it says, But these and similar genealogies are the skeleton framework of the Old Testament, the thing that binds the whole book together and gives it unity. And that takes in, I'm sorry, and that takes it out of the realm of legend and into the pages of real history. You see, the genealogies are crucial. It is something that we must have there within the text. It is history. It is uh, a factual document stating that these men lived one after another. And they're very accurate. And so... We should praise God that they're in there. Secondly, isn't it sweet that God remembers people by name? That many. If you can remember all these guys by name, hey, he's got you covered. He loves and looks at people specifically. I really like that. As you read through the genealogies, which I like to read through them all, because sometimes you see little random phrases after their name, like, I don't know, some random name, and then he worked in a garden. Like random stuff like that. It's just cool to see. But sometimes it says things like, he blessed his family all of his days, or something like that. It's just like, wow, who's this guy? I want to be like that. Sometimes there's some really cool stuff in there. So let's just let's just mow through uh, chapter 9 here. There isn't really much, but you know me. I could probably turn it into an hour study. I'll try not to. Okay? So, uh, let's, I know, I know, we're, I know, wow. Okay. First Chronicles chapter 9. So all of Israel were reckoned by genealogies, and behold, they were written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, who were carried away to Babylon for their transgression. What? Why were they carried away to Babylon? For their transgression. Interesting. Interesting. Why was Israel carried away to Babylon? Because of their transgression. Why? Because of their transgression. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's right, because of their transgression, because of their sin. That is why the country was carried away to Babylon. Interesting. Would God allow a nation 
or even put a nation in slavery or in bondage because of their transgressions? Hmm. You look at wicked nations, how they are in bondage and messed up. And you know what? We look at what is happening to our country. Do you see the wickedness like in your face? Me and Robert were driving the other day. There's these two girls from MLK walking. They look like a couple prostitutes, to tell you the truth. It's like walking in little high heels, little skirts. I'm just like, Robert, what the heck is that? Josh, I know you're young. Those are prostitutes. (laughs) I'm serious. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I'm like, what are they wearing? Like, you can't even drive. Look at you. You're walking home. And you're all flossed up like you're in Hollywood or something. It's ridiculous. But who's telling them that? Why do they think they have to look like that? Why do they think they have to be like that? And show themselves why? Who taught them that? It is this nation that is teaching them that. That, hey, in order for you to be valued, you've got to show your stuff. If you want to get the guy's attention, you've got to be a hussy. You've got to be a Canaanite woman. It's true. Isn't it sad? That no more, I was trying to explain to this girl the other day, that no more, that no more is the value on who it is on the inside. It has nothing to do with that. And I was telling this girl, I said, the way that you catch the man is the way you have to keep him. If you catch him with your looks, you will have to keep him with your looks. And when your looks fade and a hot girl walks by, you will lose him. You will laugh in your face and tell you, I don't love you anymore. The passion isn't there. What? That's Hollywood, isn't it? Every day. It's ridiculous. But you know what? If we choose to live in transgression... We, Israel, will be sent to Babylon. And I will flee the country. Because I'm not going into bondage. But gosh, I would hope, I would love to scream at the top of my lungs off this pulpit and just stand, I'd like to put it right up there and just yell. To these people. Hello, hey! Yeah, you! I, I told John Corson this in the desert, like, John, I just want a megaphone that would stretch all the way across the nation that all men would be able to hear the sweet message of God. And so I can just tell them, you're a fool if you choose to turn from God. But look what, look what He gives, look who He is. Are you crazy? You want to live a life of destruction and destroy yourself? Fine. Do your thing. But there are many here across this nation who desire to seek God. I just want to just call it out. And you know what? It starts with us. It starts with you living and standing for righteousness in your workplace. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to stand for righteousness in your school? I was trying to explain this the other day too. I just couldn't believe the conversation I was having. It's simple. When your friends invite you to go somewhere you're not supposed to go, you're saying, no. I don't do that. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Huh? I don't get it. When sin comes to you, you say no. 
Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. You wonder why the enemy is running around you in circles. It's because you do not resist. And this country will be in bondage till the day that we stand up and start resisting. It is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. I just cannot even believe the high schools. I can't believe it, man. It ain't going to change until somebody stands up. Do you know what that means, family? Do you really know? Do you know what it means to be a disciple for Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian like everybody else? It's the same old. Do you know that even in the even in the church that people look at certain people and say they are a real Christian? That's sad. What do people say about you? Where do you stand? You know, I just started working Harvest Crusades. It's my second day. And I'm making phone calls to these pastors. I was analyzing. I had to put the pastors in three categories. There's going to be one, the slacker, who just doesn't want to do anything. Pastors! There's going to be number two, the guy who's kind of passionate, but he's not somebody who's diligent. You can't rely on him. And number three, there's somebody who has it all. You'll give him something and he'll be diligent. He is fired up to serve God and he will serve him daily and you can count on him. I bet you 95% of the church we cannot rely on. That's why over at Harvest Christian Fellowship, one of the biggest churches in America, only 13% of the church tithes. That's ridiculous. 13%? What if 50% time? Look at the sweet things that are going on. I mean, it's just, there's so much nice stuff there. I can't even believe it. It makes me sick sometimes. I'm going to give some plasma screens away to some homeless people. But you know, that's all 13%. You know, in Moses' day, the people gave so much, he had to tell them to stop giving. No more. Can you imagine if people were coming to the church and they had that kind of heart? They're like, stop, you! That, that spot's been vacuumed three times. We don't need any more vacuuming. No more children's ministry. We don't need any more. We've got more. There's, there's one adult per one kid. No more people, please. <laughs> the banks are telling us to stop bringing money because their computers can't take it. Oh, that's... We've never heard that. It's always, oh, could you please give? I mean, God doesn't need your money, but, you know, please... You know, we need your help in, in building this and doing that. That's why for the rest of my life, as I preach, I will not ask things of people. I will demand it. Because it is your obligation as a Christian to live to these things. You do not get the opportunity, oh please, could you come and serve here? It's like there's a need, take care of it. That man is hurting and he does not... A, a guy came up to me Sunday night, asked me to pray for him. He said, Josh, I have a need. Almost tears in his eye. I'm like, what? I don't know if I can come to church anymore because he's 18. He's like, because I can't afford tires on my car. I about lost it. I said, what? What do you mean? You, what do you, because 
well, the tires are bolting, you know, and it's like really dangerous to drive like that, and so on. I said, your needs will be provided for you, don't worry. That will be taken care of. You don't worry, it's going to be taken care of. That is the duty of the church. And it was taken care of that next week, praise God. I prayed for him. I said, God will provide your needs. You don't worry. And that's ridiculous. And that is the way the church is in all areas. And it is because we are not faithful. Let's just be honest. Come on. We're going to Babylon real soon. Because we are not faithful. And it's not till people like you guys make a decision. And say, I'm not going to be like every other Christian. Do the Sunday, Wednesday thing. Midweek Bible study. Who cares if you come here every single week, but you do not change? You're wasting your time. There are some here in this room who will rise up and be Moses. There will be others who will be the children of Israel complaining all the days of their life. will accomplish nothing. You will be in Babylon. These are God's people in Babylon because of their transgressions, because you sin day in and day out, rebelling against your parents, not doing what's right at work, not standing up for what you believe. Because guys, you continue to fall into that sin. It is not until we make huge decisions I've been preaching this for how long? Me and Mike Jonka were talking about today. When will the day come when revival comes? When will it come? When? It is when we choose to. Whenever you decide, you let me know. I'm in. I told Mike, I'm going to have revival every day of my life. If nobody wants to join, oh well. I'm just going to keep preaching to deaf ears. And maybe one day they'll wake up. We've got to change. It is because of their transgressions they are sent into Babylon. And we will be there soon. Please. Please. I beg and plead. Let us be different. Amen? Verse 2. that on the recording? It's a classic. Okay. Now the first inhabitants that dwelt in their possessions in their cities were the Israelites and the priests, Levites, and the all these other guys. And verses 3 through 9 just list a bunch of guys and actually list, what they're listing is these two Israel and Judah coming together. This is actually where they come together. It's actually a prophecy being fulfilled. Okay? Right here, verses 3 to 9, is a prophecy being fulfilled. This prophecy is found in Ezekiel chapter 37 and Hosea chapter 1. If you want to look it up, that's fine. If not, but a prophecy actually being fulfilled that had been told. Did you know the Bible predicts 2,000 times approximately and that 1,500 times they say it has come true. Did you know that this Bible here, this word, is the only book on the face of the earth that can tell the future. 
this one. And I tell atheists this on the street all the time. It's like, well, you got some magic book I should listen to? Does your book tell the future? No. Mine does. And I say, 1,500 times come true, that's what they say. Well, let's just say, what if it was only 100 times? That's still more than any book on the face of the earth. You know any book to tell the future 100 times? What if it really did do 1,500 times? Unbelievable. This book is powerful and living. Sharper than an A2-edged sword. Cuts deep. You can know that. You should look into these prophecies. You should know them. This week, at the well, I'm going to be speaking on Jesus riding into a donkey. I'm riding into a donkey. No. <laughs> He's on a Clydesdale. There's like a donkey in the way. He just like mows it over. Okay, stop. Jesus riding in on a donkey. And did you know that was actually prophesied to the exact day? 500 years before it would happen. To the exact day. And I'm going to show how that works. To the exact day. What book can do that? You're going to prophesy 500 years before something happens to the exact day? You're right. Only the Bible can do it. That is why it is powerful. Show me a book. Nostradamus, where are you at? Weak. Weak. Something is divine. This thing has some kind of authority. If it can tell the future, absolutely amazing. There's a prophecy taking place right here. I won't go into it, other than what I've already just said. Let's move on, verse 10. And the priests, oh, it just goes on to list a ton more people. We're going, to jump, we're going to jump all the way to verse 13. You ready? What they're doing is they're listing a lot of Levites. And their brethren, heads of the house of their fathers, a thousand and seven hundred and three score, or seven hundred and sixty, one thousand seven hundred and sixty, very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. Did you hear that? Very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. You know what the sad thing is? Is there are not very... Is, is there 1,760 very able men ready to work for the house of God? We have to say not even close. Mighty men of valor is the other translation there. God is just looking for a single man, a single woman to rise up. Just one. Just one that he can work through in a specific situation. Just one that will work hard for him no matter what the duty is. Just one. Very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. I just love that. And you know what? When you see a very able man or woman who is willing to do work and service for the house of God, you know who I'm talking about. Those people that are just can do, they just make it happen. They just... You ask them to do something, it's like, bam, taken care of. In the church, love that. I have a sweet brother who's close to me tonight. I won't mention his name. But it's just like anything, anything, anything mentioned, taken care of. Just taken care of. It's crazy. I just love it.
These are very hard to find, but you know what? Every Christian should be that, don't you think? That's what we're called to. No matter what the duty, no matter how big or small it is. Last week, Calder Carrera was sitting there, and Micah taught on servanthood. I was just thinking about how amazing Jesus was as a servant. And then all of a sudden, one of the brothers came up to me and said, Josh, we've got to clean up all the chairs. I'm just like, all right, go tell Mike. You know, he'll make the announcement. So he goes and makes the announcement. And then I'm like standing there. And all of a sudden, people start cleaning up chairs. I'm just like, okay, uh, maybe I should go. I, I was talking with some people, and I was like looking for somebody else to talk to. And all of a sudden, the Lord just struck me. What are you doing? Clean up those chairs. I'm like, yeah, duh. You know, like, you idiot. Come on, get on that. So I did. Mike reference to a, a millionaire slash billionaire who probably owns the biggest construction company in the West Coast. And he was at Mike's wedding. And he said that he saw this millionaire slash billionaire, the biggest construction company. He was standing over by the punch bowl serving every single person punch that was coming up. Every single person. That's it. The guy who should be served champagne on a golden platter is sitting there. I could see him like, you know, maybe he's an older man, probably like trying to serve everybody, you know, punch and like spills it on himself and they're just like, you know, that's like the the rich guy. Like, oh, I'm sorry. He's sitting there just like handing it out. That is, that is the work and the service that is to be done in the house of God by every person. Every single one of you have this duty. One more thing. This is the mindset you are to have. It's like the person who owns a house. Like I've watched Robert Hill. He takes care of his house. It's just cool. I get to live with Robert. He's allowed me to stay there. such a blessing. And I get to watch him operate and, and, and head over his family. And he just takes care of everything. It's like as he walks around, you know, it's like there's things out on the counter. You know, people left this out. They did this and it. Robert's just like, just cleaning it up, just doing his thing. Just like takes care of the house. It's not like, it's not like, oh, you know, yelling for somebody to come and clean this up or who did this or did not. No, 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 it just takes care of all of it. Just taking care of, bam. Taking care of. He doesn't have to think twice about trying to take care of the house. He just does it. It's his house. It's like, of course, you're going to take care of your stuff. Because you don't want it just to stay dirty. It's the same thing when you walk into the house of God. It's like when you see something that needs to be done, don't wait for somebody to ask you to do it. Just take care of it. It's almost like we should be looking and scanning and thinking. Like, And as soon as you see somebody doing something, oh, can I help you? Can you imagine if we had that going on? How things would just be done and taken care of. Nobody would have to think about anything. Now, they say that there's like anywhere from fifteen to 18,000 people over harvest. And even half that, say seven or 8,000 people, did one job. You wouldn't need any employees. Just one. Just do it once a week for an hour. 
all taken care of. But people do not desire to serve. And it's a fault. Again, amongst the church. The Levites, hey, very able men. Very able. We need to change on that point. We need to be, have our eyes opened. Even tonight, I would love to see that in action. It's like you see people cleaning up. Oh, Josh, you trying to recruit me to clean up? No! We'll clean it up. It'll be done. I guarantee it. It will be done and taken care of. And I always ask Gerardo at the end of the night, is everything cool, man? It's nice and clean the way you like it. Yeah, it's good, man. We'll take care of the rest. But you see how that works? We should be the helping hand in every situation. You see an old lady pushing her groceries. Run over there. Can I push those for you? Why not? That's what we do. We should be very able. Okay? Let's move on. So they list a whole bunch more people. Now let's go down to... uh, Verse 19. And Shalom, the son of Kor, the son of Abiasaph, the son of Korah, and his brethren of the house of the father, the Korhites, were over the work of the service, keepers of the gates of the tabernacle, and their fathers over the hosts of the Lord were keepers of the entry. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, was the ruler over them in time past, and the Lord was with them. And Zechariah, the son of Meshelemiah, this porter of the door of the tabernacle, the congregation. And these were which, to be porters in the gates, were 212. These were reckoned by their genealogy in their villages, whom David and Samuel the seer did ordain and set their office. So you have these guys who were set over, hey, closing the doors and opening them, yeah, for people. Keeping the doors making sure, hey, whatever's happening with the doors and the opening and the closing, I can't get specific on it because I don't know. But something having to do with opening and closing the keepers of the doors, maybe standing there making sure, greeting people in, there in the tabernacle, everything that was happening. You see, these, a simple task. Doorkeepers? Yeah. As we look at some of these things, there's a couple more things here at the bottom that these guys did. Like, uh, jump down to 31. No, 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 no. 28. Look at verse 28. And certain of them had the charge of ministering vessels, that they should bring them in and out by tail. Some of them also were appointed to oversee the vessels. I like that. They were appointed to oversee. They didn't get... They, they, they were just told what to do that they should bring them in and out with tales. Some of them were also appointed to oversee the vessels and all the instruments of the sanctuary and the fine flour and the wine and the oil and the frankincense and the spices. And some of the sons of the priests made the ointment of the spices. It's like, hey you, Joey, I want you to take care of the vessels. What? I don't want to take care of... I bet you you never see a Levite complain like that. The priest, One of the priests of God 
complaining about hey, carrying out the vessels or putting them away. This is the job that I get to do. I get to prepare. Hey, so what do you do? Hey, Levite, yeah, you. Shemenekath. What do you do? Oh, I, uh, I make the spices every day so they can burn sweet incense of the Lord. Can you imagine how boring that would be? Every day you make the spices. So, uh, anything interesting go down today? Yeah. It's making the spices in the bowl tipped over. It's crazy. <laughs> I played a joke on the priest. I put like I put dirt in the spice, you know, and he couldn't light it. I don't know. The point being, these jobs are so minute. But the point being is that everyone, every single one of us have a job to do in the church today. Did you know that? What is your job and what are you doing? What is your job and what are you... Is it making the spices? Is it carrying the vessel? Is it cleaning the instruments? What is it? There's another job here. Check these guys out here at the bottom. Verse 33 there. No, wait, wait. Let's read verse 31. Check this out. Amatithiah, one of the Levites who was the firstborn of Shalom, the Korthite, had the set office. He had the set office. Okay, sounds like a big job. Set office over the things that were made in the pans. Translation. He was the kitchen guy. Over the pans, and if you have King James, you'll see on the margin there, it also translated, over the pans, or over the flat plates, or over the slices. He was the one in charge of yeah this small thing. Check out the next guy. And other of the brethren, the son of the Kohathites, were over the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. Hey, so what's your job? I bake bread every Shabbat. Friday, I bake bread. That's what I do. I make sure the flour is ready. I go and get water, and I just wait for that time to come. And hey, when Friday comes, I'm baking bread. Well, what else do you do? I bake bread. No, I mean, like, what? But what's the spiritual thing? Like, do you pray for the bread, or like, what do you? No, I uh, just bake the shortbread and give it to the priest, and he prays over it, and uh, I bake bread. That's what I do. That's his office. That's what he set over. And hey, you, uh, Ronnie, over in the corner. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the pan guy. After he's done baking the bread, I clean the pan. I clean the utensils. Check these next guys out. And these, verse thirty-three are the singers, chief of the fathers, the Levites, who remaining in the chambers were free, for they were employed in that work day and night. Okay, what is, huh? You want to be on the worship team in this day? You have to sing day and night in the tabernacle. You just stand there and you sing. Sing that song a hundred times. You just keep singing. What do you do? I sing. Oh, man, that's a great job. So, you know, like, what kind of songs do you like to do? Well, I, uh, I just sing these songs over and over, and I just sing all day. Actually, day and night, I sing. 
and I'm sick of singing, and my voice hurts, and my mouth is dry, and I don't want to sing anymore. But that is his duty, he sings. Again, that's pretty much how this chapter ends. It just goes on to say these are the chiefs and the Levites and just lists a bunch more guys. The key being, everyone has a role. Ask yourself right now, what are you doing? What's your role? What do you do? Do you go to church? Yeah. Well, what do you do at the church? Um, listen? Sing songs? Uh, hang out? What do you do? What's your role? How do you act? You see, I truly believe that God will not give anybody anything until they choose to clean the dishes, to bake the bread, to clean the utensils. I love watching the manager or the big dog of the company take out the trash. Love watching that. And you know why he's the big dog? Because he's been taking out the trash for 30 years. He never stopped. That's why everybody loves him and everybody respects him. But that's what it takes. We've got to figure out our roles and what we are to be doing. Where are we serving? What are we doing? What is your purpose right now? Because time will just continue to waste. And time will, in a year will go about two years, three years. How many years have you been walking with the Lord? How many years have you been serving? You know, it's like if, if everything gets taken from me and I no longer get to teach maybe I can't leave worship anymore or whatever it's like I think I would just I would just go back to doing all the things that I used to do all the time it's like just the simple things man it reminds me of that new believer you know they're all fired up and they'll just do anything you ask anything anytime anyplace anywhere ready to serve God with all of their heart I remember a brother by the name of Dean. And when he first came to the Lord, I'll never forget it. Because he was so anxious to do anything. He wouldn't leave me alone. And he would just sit there asking. And just it's just like, I just love that. Every one of you have a role to play and if you're not playing it, shame on you. We have got to figure it out and start moving. Please, family. We're just wasting time. Some of you have too much to do. And you need to delegate. It's me, that's a word for me. We've got to figure out what needs the church needs. And take care of them. Simple, right? Do you need that vacuum? I'm your man. 
love asking the janitors at church if they need help with things. Look at me with a blank stare like, I'm getting paid for this. For the family, man. I say, your church is mine too. We all should be cleaning the house. We all should be taking care of the needs. We all should be praying and encouraging. Do you want to be a pastor? Do you want to serve in leadership? Do you want to be an elder? Do you want to be a shepherd of some type? What are you waiting for a paper or something? A little certificate? Oh, you can, here you go. And start doing it. Start doing whatever they do. Whatever you want to be, start doing it all day, every day. Set. I say, I say to you these things that you would not be burdened, but as you move in these things, you will be set free. Because you will feel what? Like you're doing something. Like life is moving. My buddy Christian, oh God, I'll tell you the story, I'll close with this. Buddy Christian emailed me. He's saying, brothers, please pray for me. This is my friend up in Canada who prays for anything, and it just happens, okay? Prays for paintball guns, they work. Touches a generator, it starts. You know, it's like, this guy's crazy. Prays for chocolate chip cookies, and they come. I'm serious, it happened, I watched it, okay? He says, this Josh. He's speaking to the brothers, he's like, please pray for me, guys. He starts describing this guy. He's like, I got a guy who... Uh, he has a big drug addiction, and uh, he's going to AA right now. I'm trying to minister to him, and I, I want to pull him into my house and let him stay in my open room. I've been praying for someone for a long time, and I think this is the guy. Please pray. And please pray for Joey, who's out on the basketball court down at the park. I played a couple games with him, and I shared the gospel, but he hasn't been receptive. Please pray that his heart would be changed. One of the guys that I talk to on the ferry quite frequently, he's going through this hard time. He needs prayer. Please pray, guys, that God would give me wisdom. I just can't believe it. And just everywhere, he's just doing it, man. He's just moving. And he feels, he looks down here. He looks down here in Southern California. He says, Josh, man, gosh, it sounds like things are so exciting. And the Bible study is growing. And, and you're, you're involved in this and you're involved in that. It's just so exciting. And I'm looking at his life and saying, you are the man. Christian, you're doing it. You're doing what everybody desires to do. You're walking in the Spirit. You work hard at your job. You've been exalted above every other person in your job because you do the jobs that no one else will do. And the boss respects you and loves you and all your workers hate you because you work harder than them. And God is blessing him. He has money. All this money saved. He begs the brothers to come up to Canada to have a mission. Do a mission trip up in Canada. Please come up. Please come up. Please, would one, just one or two, just come up. I would love to just, I'll pay for everything here while you're here. This, this prophet crying in the wilderness of the island of Gabriela, of a population of about a thousand people there on his island. He rents out a space in a restaurant. Up above the restaurant, he rents out a space from the owner just so he can teach a Bible study to two people. This man moves and he walks and he thinks he is not he doesn't understand. 
I tell him, Christian, you are doing the will of God, my brother. The Father is so happy and pleased with you. You are more faithful than all that I know. And that is power. And that is what God's desire. That is a very able man. And nothing will get in his way. And he will be exalted. And when he stands before the great king one day, many crowns will be thrown at his feet because of his faithfulness. That is who we are to be. That is how we are to move. Please, take these words to heart. Let me pray. Father, oh Lord, didn't know so much could come out of 1 Chronicles 9. Bunch of genealogies. But we thank you, Lord, for the things that you're testifying to us. We know what you desire. We know what you want. But Father, for some reason, the willingness and the discipline is very difficult to come by. We ask for help because we are helpless and because we cannot move forward. We desire to be disciplined. We desire to run from sin. We desire to be faithful. We desire to take care of the needs of the church. But so often we're distracted. Please change us. Family, don't let me pray this for myself. You pray this for yourself. You say, yea and amen, God, that's me. Father, we come seeking, asking, and knocking that you would grant these things to us and that we would be changed. Thank you for the work. We thank you. We thank you for the love you've shown us despite our faithfulness. When we are faithless, you remain faithful. When we don't believe you are faithful, more faithful than the sun rising, more faithful than the stars coming out every night, you are more faithful than anyone. We choose to serve you. We choose to give our lives to you in this moment. Have your way in us, Father. Anything you desire, we are here. Thank you. Love you, King. In Jesus' name, in the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. 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 Alright. Alright. It was an hour. No, actually it was 45 minutes. Not too bad. Lord bless you and keep you. May His face, let His face shine upon you because you're looking at Him. Because you're seeking Him. May God bless you as you go tonight. I'll see you guys next week. Let's bless one another as we hang out. Amen? Love you guys. See ya.